Now, to be honest, a virtual community is like being a chef and you've got three ingredients to work with as opposed to 30. You know, it's, it's not as easy to prepare a delicious meal, but you can still prepare a meal and you can still pretty, you know, depending on the three ingredients, you can still do a pretty reasonable job of that meal. One thing that I've found very useful is in talking about depth, Andrew, you know, I don't want to jump on a phone or jump on a video call uh, to answer questions that athletes themselves can go out and find themselves. So it's just like, how big is your school? So we just compared recruiting to toilet paper. All right, uh, Andrew, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> I think that is, uh, uh, that's, yeah, pretty on the head. Um, so on today's episode of Corona, uh, episode three, lucky viewers and lucky listeners, um, we're going to be talking about recruiting. Um, so speaking a lot to the junior class of what do we do in this kind of state and the time that we're in of how do you stay relevant? How do you stay engaged? Uh, how does that influence kind of the college search experience? And you're going to be able to hear it from a couple different perspectives from, you know, the club perspective, uh, you know, lightweight rowing, openweight rowing, men's rowing, women's rowing. Um, so you're going to be able to hear from a, a lot of different sources. Um, we have Coach Nickley Parker on from uh, Columbia, head coach of the lightweight men. We have Daniela, head coach of the Alabama men. We have Andrew Carter, head coach of the women at Iowa. And we have uh, Ryan Sparks, the president of Sparks Consulting. Um, so as you can tell, we've got you know, the best and the brightest in the business right now, um, especially with Ryan's miming. Um, so he's very much somebody who likes to talk with his hands, not just his mouth. So uh, that being said, why don't we go through and talk about just like in a very one to two sentence elevator pitch style, what do you see the biggest change in recruiting is going to be in this upcoming year? Nick, kick us off. The most important thing is going to be personal connections to the coaches. It's going to be a little bit about how you row naturally, but the thing that's going to drive decisions is how well you connect with the coaches. That's going to let them know like, hey, this person, I can get them on my team. We can work together and we can build something together. All right. Andrew? Yeah, I would, I would agree 100% with that. Um, we're going to be um, certainly in a data void. In, in the next little while as, as uh, opportunities to row and, uh, and train at a, in a normal way have gone away. So I think those personal connections are going to be a big thing and, and uh, activities that speak to intent um, and drive are going to be big in, in developing those relationships with them about, we, we have to look in the crystal ball at the best of times. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, engaging in ways that demonstrate strong intent are going to be big. Ryan? I really think that if you bake a coach a pie and you send it to them, if you're going like 12 minutes on your 2K, that pretty much subtracts like a minute for every pie you send them. So cookies might do like 30 seconds. So if you're seeking strong relationships with coaches, think pastries. Pastries are, in, in, are the right move right now. Um, the only other thing I have to say is what the other two guys said is pretty much the, the case. We have Danielle on. Uh, provide any details on what kind of pie or right. we could spend yeah. some time on. If you have a nut allergy, uh, 
be very aware, coaches. <laughs> Don't open packages. <laughs> Wait, do we have Daniela on or no? No. 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 Okay. She's, Danielle, she's, yeah, she's doing Danielle a dissertation at it. Yeah, I would uh, I would kind of agree with that. I think the the personal connection aspect is going to be pretty important. You don't want to inundate coaches with data, but you also don't want to leave things to chance, um, because I think what we're all looking for is just consistency through communication, through messaging, um, you know, consistency with what juniors are doing, and not just juniors in that class, but youth itself, um, and what you're doing from a day to day. So, um, you know, with the idea of you know summer rowing not being a thing um what are some options out there that we think people could take advantage of or um things that they can do whether it's a, a group session or you know like individual research like where would you what direction would you point them in and ryan we'll start with you first so we are starting to evaluate whether to adapt our camps into a virtual format which i know you know it annoys me as much as it annoys you. You know, being on the water with other people is absolutely the way that we enjoy rowing most. But given safety and given COVID, you know, I don't necessarily know if, if that's going to be the case. And as a result, the question is, how can you stay socially accountable to your team or to a group of people? How can you make friends in the sport, you know, versus... Uh, because I think that's what, what rowing is about for a lot of us. Like, it's not just about like sitting on the erg and pulling a lot of pieces. The question is, you know, do we get to know people? Are we making friends in the sport? Are we talking about the sport? Are we learning about the sport? And to kind of echo the recruiting point that uh, was just made, a large number of recruiting conversations are going on around deep, deep thoughts about rowing, because if there's no racing, then that's what recruiting coaches have to talk about is basically, or what have to do is talk about rowing. And so I think a level of education is possible at this point, but also ideally a level of still of socially meeting people, even though it's in a random weird format, um, as we stay safe is also possible. And I also think, you know, there's e-learning for coxswains available, but, you know, ultimately the motivated athlete, the one that's willing to kind of adapt to the situation is going to get ahead in, as in any situation. And, um, and so it really comes down to being able to find that motivation and, and part of that is social, no doubt. And so you need to hook in with, with, with the community. Um, and we also, you know, I know that we're offering free Instagram workouts right now in order to serve that as well. All right. Nick or Angie, you want to pop in? Um, no, I, I, you know, the, the question was where, where can they go and what they, should they be mm -hmm. doing? Yep. Um, Where's a good starting place that you think that they, that's easy enough or accessible that doesn't necessarily require too much thought? Well, I, I think that, that um, looking at what's going on in, in a lot of collegiate rowing right now with, with teams um, taking some initiative, among, you know, within the student ranks, uh, that they're they're connecting using technology, um, you know, to maintain motivation and to maintain a sense of, of training norms. Um, again, like Ryan said, we all want to be on the water, uh, and that would be lovely, but that's just not where we are right now. So we have to use other means. Um, and I think that what people are doing, whether it's using 
you know, platforms like Zoom or, or other things, um, they're congregating and they're, they're, they're keeping, keeping themselves moving forward uh, with whatever means are necessary. And I would encourage it in the junior ranks to do that. They're not restricted by some of the things that, that Nick and I are where we can't orchestrate those things and monitor those things at the collegiate level, but I think junior clubs and high schools don't have those same, those same restrictions. Um, mm -hmm. So I would encourage coaches at that level to use whatever platform they can, they can access um, to, to, to group their, group their kids um, and, and keep them training. And I would love to, you know, I'm just sort of thinking out loud right now. I don't know what NCAA restrictions we would run into, you know, um, as college coaches, we can visit uh, and observe practices um, in in real life. I wonder if if that would be permissible um, in a in a virtual training environment. If if junior club X had a training program where they were getting everybody together for a Zoom workout, and this kid had a bike, and that kid had an erg, and that kid was doing calisthenics or something, that we would be permitted to to tune in on that if invited, um, just to observe work ethic and attitude and and uh, and drive in the workouts and things like that. It might be an opportunity to, to to gain exposure that actually might be logistically easier in some ways than than us as college coaches getting out there and, and visiting programs. I think those are all those are all really good things. Actually, really good ideas because we have to be creative. Um, where I would start, I, I think if I was an athlete right now, junior athlete or even a collegiate athlete, and I knew I wanted to keep rowing, I would do a standard SWOT analysis. I'd look at my strengths, my weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. I would do it for me. I'd say, okay, well, here's where I'm going well. Here's where I need to improve. Here's some things that I see as opportunities. And then here are the things that could get in the way. Once you have those written down, then I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities that you can explore and you can pick which ones are going to actually help me with strengths or weaknesses or opportunities. So I think all of the things that are said are great. And I would start with looking at which one of those is going to help me the most. And I'd make sure I'd done some deep looking to know exactly how to plan that. I mean, a couple of things that were just motivated or used, I think both Ryan and Andrew used it. And then Nick, you kind of, it seemed like you were not in a bad way, but dancing around it is this idea of motivation. You know, we're talking about the athlete's motivation, but there's also a huge population out there that is also suffering from like the same challenges. Like as coaches, especially as Andrew alluded to um, in his last response, like, you know, we have a lot of restrictions as college, college coaches. Um, you know, how, how are each of you finding motivation and, you know, keeping your team going or even keeping yourself going? Like I, I know for me, as, as the world knows, like I just transitioned out of coaching, um, but even like keeping myself motivated to still be able to be a support system for programs that I'm working with. Um, one thing that's worked out for me is that, you know, you look at the end term goal and where you want to be once things do start to return to like some sort of normalcy, then you can work back from there and recognize, all right, what brings you, like, what are your positive parts of the day? What are your negative parts of the day? Um, but I think kind of reaching out to people in my network like this provides a, a big motivation knowing that I'm not going, at, going through it alone. But what do you guys think? What's your motivation as coaches that keeps you going? I think mine is, uh, I don't find a, a lot of difficulty in that. And I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know if that means 
uh, or that's because I'm just like an old fart. Um, and, uh, you know, been perhaps not as, as susceptible um, as, as others are to some of these pressures. Um, and I'm, or, or that I've just been at it long enough that the routine is, is part of, of what motivates me, is mm -hmm. staying in the routine and always, always pressing forward. And I get a lot of motivation, honestly, from uh, while the students might look to me for motivation, um, I get a lot from them. So we're in regular contact with, with our squad, you know, whether we're, we're just having random catch-ups and nothing on the agenda um, to actually having something that I'm, you know, information I need to get out to them. So a couple times a week, at least, we're on a Zoom call, um, mm -hmm. whether that's 10 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, and I get, I get a lot of energy that, that comes out of that. And they're really fun, too, because um, while I'll, I'll call the meeting and I'll be the, the, the host, um, you know, I'll stay in there for as long as I need to be in there, and then I'll transfer the host over to one of the students, and then they all hang out with one another after I leave, hmm. which, is, which is really nice. But, but the, at the front end of that, where I get to be with them, I, I take a lot of, of motivation from that because it reminds me of what it is that I'm doing here. Um, you know, the, the only real change to my day is that I don't get to go to practice all the other stuff that I'm responsible for, I'm still doing. Um, so getting to see their faces on a regular basis um, and to remind me why I'm doing all those other things um, keeps my batteries charged for sure. I would say my answer is very similar to Andrew's, but in a different way in that you know, trying, I mean, what we really do as a company is just focus on community and, um, and the way that community can help you grow as a person. And so though we can't have a physical community and, and that's difficult, ultimately the mission stays the same. Mm -hmm. And it continues to be challenging people to grow in community. Now, to be honest, a virtual community is like being a chef and you've got three ingredients to work with as opposed to 30. You know, it's, it's not as easy to prepare a delicious meal, but you can still prepare a meal and you can still pretty, you know, depending on the three ingredients, you can still do a pretty reasonable job of that meal. Um, it's just about becoming inspired enough to be able to work with those ingredients and, and, and work with them well. So in, in reality, it's just kind of utilizing, kind of being outside or, or you know, physical activity, at least for me, to inspire the level of creativity necessary to work with that level of ingredients such that, you know, I can keep myself going by using those ingredients to create community, if that makes sense. So in other words, you're kind of like a top chef, but on the show Chopped, is what you're saying. Sure. <laughs> or in a kitchen with, with, with Ryan and a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's just trying to decide whether he wants to put little pieces of hot dog in there or not you know <laughs> which you know could turn dog. over and change the change the meal in, in its entirety i tell you the best ingredient right now is ghost pepper that will that will change any dish i tell, tell you what ghost pepper mac and cheese and hot dogs but crap mac and cheese Ooh, that's the, and that would be good that would be very good and I want you to know that I'm that clearly I'm bilingual because I was able to convert that into Kraft macaroni and cheese. And originally being from Canada, I was my instinct would say Kraft dinner. But I changed that for you all, so you're welcome. Thank you. Thank well you. done. Well done. <laughs> Andrew, you'll, you'll be happy to know Jesse and I have started our tickle trunk. Yeah. See? 
That's exactly right. We started creating our own tickle trunk so that we too can have a part of Canada and New York City. That's what that's okay. Mr. We want to educate those who don't that's, for, that's for Mr. Dress Up. I met Mr. Dress Up in real life. What? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's a Canadian please, thing. Please explain for the rest of us what that yeah, is. Yeah, please educate the rest of the rest of us peasants that don't know what a tickle trunk is. Mr. Mr. Dress Up. Um, was a children's television show. Um, the the guys, the character was Mr. Dress Up, played by a guy named uh, Ernie Coombs, I think was his name. Um, and it was a typical show, you know, their segment. It was a little bit like Mr. Rogers in a way, okay. that type of a show. But one of the things was that they would have it uh, periodically. They would have a segment where they would dress up and tell a story or play out a story, and they would dress up, and all the costumes were in this big trunk that they called the tickle trunk. And you would tickle it, and that would unlock it, and then you would get your all these various things in there that you could dress up and have fun with. So, Nick, you're saying that you're motivated by your own tickle trunk? Uh, yes, that is actually it. I'm motivated to complete. I, I want to graduate from a tickle trunk to a tickle closet. Like, <laughs> let's have some real fun here. <laughs> Moving back to recruiting. <laughs> the way Nick, what else motivates you besides uh, now that we've got the tickle trunk, tickle closet out of the way? You know, you've got some time to you know upgrade those. But what else motivates you to to kind of keep going? Um, I think one of the things you get out of rowing and everybody experiences is you're halfway through a test piece or a race, and you want to stop. You don't want to keep going. Like it hurts. It's not going well, there's something else. And over time, you learn how to keep doing it. You learn how to keep going and you just keep deciding to go and go and go. And, and you do this so much that the very few instances where people have stopped, we all know about. We know about Lay Down Sally in the 2004 Olympics because an incident like that is so incredibly rare within our sport. It happens so infrequently. So the thing that keeps me motivating is my motivated to go is my experiences in rowing and drawing on this thing of like, I know I can do this because I have done these other incredibly challenging things. I have been at the 20 minute mark of a 40 minute test and wanted to die and finished it. And I think that's what, what keeps me going is the fact that I've done it before and I know that I can. And I know that in those previous times, it made me better getting through the end of the test finishing the race, whether I was winning or losing, it made me really better. And that's what I, that's what I expect out of this too. Like, this is going to make me better because of this. And if I can be better, then when I do get back to coaching, I do get back to be able to being on the water with the guys, I'll be better for them. And I can create a better environment so they can continue to grow and be better. That's what motivates me. It's, it's knowing I've done it and knowing that by keeping on doing it, we can make things better. You know, I would, I would agree with that. I think that's, that's an interesting, you know, train of thought. You know, I don't know with, with people that we work with and, um, you know, and, and coach against for that matter, you know. I, I, I think one of the things that we teach on a daily basis, whether we're doing it overtly or, or sometimes just it's inherent in what we do, is that pro progress um, is a habit. We're creating that as a habit. So is motivation always part of, of stimulating progress or is it now just a habit that, that we've made part of our fiber? Mm -hmm. so I don't know if we're always needing to be 
And I don't feel that. I don't feel like I'm always needing to be motivated to do something. I'm just always pushing forward because that's my habit. Right. And that's been ingrained in a practice behavior that's worked over time. Yeah. So you're not yeah. going to necessarily change that behavior when it's already so ingrained. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that we hope that, um, that we're imparting and instilling in those whom we coach so that when they're in those times when the little devil is on their shoulder whispering those things that Nick was talking about, um, it, you know, it's just an easy little off, off he goes and he gets shouted down by your better angels. So when we think about, you know, the, the high school athletes that are out there, I know that we talked very briefly when we first started of, you know, what's, what's going to be important, but you know, if we had to list off, you know, a couple of things that for you personally feel strongly that, you know, athletes could be doing right now, whether they're seniors that are deciding on colleges, whether it's juniors that are, you know, contemplating committing early or whatnot, or even sophomores or freshmen, like, what are three things that, like, it doesn't have to be three, but what are three things that people could be doing right now that would stand out to you, whether it's, you know, do you want to hear a text from them uh, every day? Do you want to get on the phone with them for a certain amount of time? Do you want to see certain things? Like, what are, what are little things that you would like from your athletes or recruits, I should say? I'll jump in real quick on this. I don't think it's a matter for me, a matter of how often. Um, I'm I would be looking for more depth. Okay. Um, so being able to have some depth to that conversation. So, you know, show that, that you're not just saying I'm interested in your school just to say it. But what, like, what, what can you tell me? Like, why are you interested in this school? Why are you interested in this program? How do you see yourself fitting in here? So, you know, I, I think that the really interesting, uh, and I, I'll use the term recruiting, even though it's not usually part of my vocabulary. Uh, this mm-hmm. process isn't, I never think about it. Recruiting to me is um, synonymous with sales, and that's not really the way that I see this process unfolding. Mm-hmm. But I think what, for lack of a better term right now, um, the most interesting recruiting processes that I've been part of have had depth to those, to those conversations, um, where it's as much of that person, you know, quote, recruiting, unquote, me as I am doing at them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I am a, and, and, I, and I think that probably, Nick, you can, you can identify with that because, I mean, Columbia, clearly is not the easiest place to gain admission. So uh, there's a level of selectivity that's necessary on both sides of the equation. Um, And, you know, so being able to really understand who this young person is uh, Mm -hmm. and that they have had enough depth to themselves to delve into that particular institution, that program, that roster, that coach, Mm-hmm. to see themselves in that in that roster with that coach at that institution and how that's going to play its way out how they're going to contribute how it's going to contribute to them just so that there, like i said there's some depth to those things rather than just the scattergun approach that i think is very common. Right. I, mean, I mean i would agree with that i think that the when you talk about the difference in using terminology like you don't use recruiting um you know when I was recruiting, I would try and get away from using the word process, but that was just my own perspective because to me, a process is something that you would do over and over again. And as recruiters, certainly that's a process for us. Like we're trying to 
figure out how we can do it more efficiently and effectively. But for the athlete and the prospect themselves, it was more of an experience, like trying to identify the right schools. But I think one thing that I found very useful is in talking about depth, Andrew, you know, I don't want to jump on a phone or jump on a video call uh, to answer questions that athletes themselves can go out and find themselves. So it's just like, how big is your school? Well, how big is your team, right? That's all standard information they can find online. I want, I would rather have a conversation where they want to know, you know, what the vision of the program is, like something that they can't find themselves. That's, I think, the conversation that I, I would want to have. I mean, we see every year we have to kind of qualify. We are an objectively recruited sport, and at least in the initial iteration of recruiting. You know, academics and 2K. It's not like somebody needs to watch you, you know, run a couple of plays in a particular formation to, to be able to figure out whether they want, whether you're a great linebacker or not. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Um, but then there's a secondary layer of recruiting that comes after that. We are a late start sport. As a result, um, there is emphasis on retaining athletes over four years, particularly at schools uh, where admissions is essentially the best that can be done for um, that athlete insofar as, as securing them a place on the team. Um, and as a result, coaches have always, particularly at better programs, um, looked at the character of the athlete insofar as their ability to commit for four years, if, if given the privilege of being supported through the admissions process or, or given a scholarship. And I would say that that those conversations in terms so far as looking at students rowing IQ and looking at their kind of level of depth are occurring at a greater extent now than they've ever occurred before because of the amount of time that coaches have. Um, and so I would say that, you know, connecting that to the summer, what are you doing for the summer? If you really, if you're a junior right now and you're looking at, at how to, how to kind of deal with this, the best thing you can be doing is, first of all, you want to be communicating with coaches at this point. But, but second, you want to be investing in your rowing intellect um, in any variety of ways. Um, those things will contribute he heavily insofar as your conversations with, with coaches. Um, so it's not just about like asking questions to ask questions to indicate interest, to make it through the recruiting process, to use that as a lever in, in admissions. It's about it's it there's there's definitely a level like you you won't succeed that way you need to be able to understand a lot more about what's going on physiologically in in the sport what's going on um in so far as as the thought on rowing and so you can be investing time i mean i talked to a recruit earlier today who's injured and wondering what to do you can be investing time in in the same way that coxswains invest a lot of time, which is, which is watching a fair amount of YouTube. Um, if you want to go that direction with it, there's, a, there's any number of media uh, pieces that you can begin to pull rowing information from, which then you can use as, as kind of fodder for that recruiting process. And don't, and I think parents need to understand, like this is, you know, I talked to a guy who, uh, a parent who's a Goldman Sachs person who told me that the recruiting process is more, difficult um, than the process he went through on to get an entry-level job in finance. And I think that's, that's correct in terms of the level of understanding that's required 
the amount of resilience that's required in a normal year. And given this year, it's, it's, even, it's even more so. Well, that's interesting you say that, Ryan, as I listen to you say that about the, you know, the entry-level position at Goldman Sachs. You know, you look at, there's a wide variety of, of universities and, and university profiles that are sponsoring growing, both on the men's side and, and the women's side, um, with different levels of rigor in their admissions process, like regardless of sport. Um, but when you look at, when you look at it, when you narrow it down into the rowing, I mean, everybody should be looking at it as the same sort of rigor as applying to a university with a 4% admit rate. Okay. You know, because there's that level of, of selectivity and, you know, you have, you have desire, all these other people have desire, you have talent, all these other people have talent, what makes you special? Um, and I, I think being, uh, being thorough, and having a level of maturity uh, and to spend the, the time because we all do have a little bit of extra time. There's no commutes involved to practice or to the office and all that, or to school or anything else. What are you doing with this time? Are you being able to provide depth to, um, to your sort of rowing resume or your rowing IQ to use your, your term and be able to carry a conversation, uh, you know, with with Nick Lee Parker, if you're a lightweight man um, and interested in rowing at a high level. Nobody carries a conversation with Nick Lee Parker. That's not true. Well, you not that Nick was here. <laughs> I, I bet Nick Lee Parker carries a wicked conversation with Nick Lee Parker. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Nick, what would you say about that? Not true. <laughs> You are so you like Nicky Parker. I know Nicky Parker. Um, isn't being right exhausting? Tell me about it. Uh, um, I, I did want to, I wanted to bring up two things um, as we kind of run, it, run down on time here, if you don't mind, Katie. After you. Um, I wanted to bring up um, the lack of testing data, SAT, ACT, yeah. um, which is a real problem. And I also wanted to bring up, um, well, I, I'm just going to make a blanket statement right now because I'm, I'm seeing this happening. It's, I mean, we could talk about it, but in reality, like, we don't need to. If there are, there are schools asking for early commitment right now. 100%. In other words, that's, that's going on in the recruiting process earlier than I've ever seen it in 10 years of doing college counseling in the recruiting process. I will go ahead and say that I believe that's a disadvantage to you as a student. Um, it's, I mean, unless you absolutely 110% know that that's your first choice and that's been your first choice since you've been in first grade. Um, it, it, we have four months of time where your 2K can come down. Um, and as a result, your school choices could vastly change in that period of time. Coaches are not gonna get angry with you if you choose not to commit, commit now. Uh, particularly if your 2K goes lower, they're not going to want you less or move on to a different option. Um, and I just want to make that public service announcement because I, it's, it's important. Uh, I've seen that, that happening and I don't feel that that's fair to students. Uh, I'll pipe in um, from the women's standpoint. Uh, 
I think it is important to consider the fact that the NCAA legislation was changed and modified uh, at the beginning of this year where, you know, the it was kind of predicted that the commit process and the recruiting cycle or experience, whatever you want to call it, was going to be earlier anyways. Um, so even before, you know, COVID really hit and everybody kind of stayed home and then coaches started to, it seemed like more coaches started to ask about committing early. Um, I, there was a lot of schools that had already been doing that since the fall, um, bringing kids in earlier on junior official visits, like having kids commit. Uh, I think the earliest one that I heard was uh, like November um, of their junior year. I, I, uh, I mean, it's, it's we're, we're it's, such a late start sport that that's not advantageous to anyone. It's not like their well, basketball recruits have been playing for 10 years. Like they're going to improve an incredible amount between fall of junior year. Right. And, but I mean, I think that that's what we saw with the, with the earlier start date, like being able to call it like uh, rising juniors, June 15th, instead of, you know, July or September 1st, like, there was going to be a significant change in the way that recruiting was going to be handled. So I don't necessarily think it was just COVID, but I kind of, I do agree with you, Ryan. I think that to try and put this pressure on these kids that are still learning how to make big decisions, they're still learning how to drive, right? To kind of predict their four years this early on, you know, it's, it's definitely different. Um, they haven't but, been in the sport long enough. I mean, like baseball players play the sport for 10 years. Maybe a sophomore year commitment makes sense for them. Maybe. To be honest, they still don't right. know who they want to be in college. I equate that to buying a ton of toilet paper at, at Walmart at the beginning of COVID. That's what I, what I equate that to on the part of college coaches. <laughs> Sporting. So we just compared recruiting to toilet paper. All right. Uh, Andrew, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> I think that is, uh, uh, that's, yeah, pretty on the head. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, I think that the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound critical uh, for, for a moment of, of my own colleagues in, in college coaching. Um, I apologize for that in advance, but um, I, I think that, when people are, are rushing to put the pressure on to, to to Ryan's point, it's very early in in their stage of development. Given that we are a late entry sport, you know, I think in the best case scenario, especially for for domestic prospects, um, you know, they're taking a sport up at the high school level. Even if they're freshmen in high school, that's still pretty late in the grand scheme of sport development. Um, but the reality is that most people are even later than that. So um, even if it made sense from a strictly athletic perspective to pursue that candidate um, as an athletic prospect for your program, um, what troubles me a little bit is that um, we're divorcing athletics from, from, from the university a little bit. Like we're losing sight of what we're doing here, which is we have a rowing program at, at this university because there's a university it's not vice versa i'm not bringing people here to be strictly rowers they're coming here to be students who row um and i think any sport even if it makes more sense like like ryan's baseball um example that we can tell that this this 
young man is going to be a great baseball player, maybe play in the major leagues. And we can tell that when he's 15 years old, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not a baseball person. But let's say that's true. Uh, is it still right to get a 15-year-old to make a decision on where he's going to go to university and get his academic experience? And perhaps even through that process, limit his options on what he can major in. Mm -hmm. When he's 15 years old, I'm the father of a, of a high school senior. He happens to be a young high school senior, so he's 17. And I, you know, and he's sure about what he wants to study. And I'm sure that he's going to take some classes that might change his mind because I, I did the same thing in my day. So I just don't, I, I'm troubled by the divorcing of of collegiate rowing from college. Mm -hmm. People would pursue these students at a time when they're not ready to make a decision about their future. They might be at a, at a position to make a decision about their rowing, but about their education, their higher education and their future beyond, I don't think they're ready for that. So I think it's it's selfish and irresponsible if I'm to be quite, quite blunt. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody, no one institution is going to be able to interchange the term student athlete. You're never going to become an athlete student, no matter you know where you really are focused. Like, even if it is going into the NFL or you know, like the MLB, like you still have to go through that educational process where a student allows you to be the athlete at that institution. Yeah, I just, I just know. Again, if I put my parent hat on, which is you know permanently on, um, if, if and. My son happens to not be an athletic recruit um, at the collegiate level, but if he was, I, I can tell you how fast I would pump the brake, how fast I would throw myself between him and, and a college coach who was at him at 15 or 16 years old. It would, you know, I would just, I would hurl myself in between there and I would slam the brakes on, I'd blow mm -hmm. if there was pressure being applied. Um, I just don't think it's appropriate. Uh, appropriate timing. Nick, what so, do you think? Um, they, 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 there's a big ethical question here about like whose interests are we serving? And it needs to be the student. It has to be them first. Coaching is a career of service. And so when I see behavior that is forcing someone who maybe isn't ready to make that decision yet happen, or I, I hear about it, um, that's upsetting, I would agree. I think for there are students, as Ryan said, who are in their junior year and they say, I know I wanna to go to university, why? That is my school, is where I've always wanted to go, and if I get an opportunity to early commit, I'm going to do it, because I'm excited about it. For many students, that's not the case. Um, and even for that student who knows that's what they want, it may not be in their best interest, but that's still their decision to make at that time. And so that's okay. So I, I think we need to just make sure that athletes are being given information. They're being allowed the opportunity to explore timelines or deadlines that kind of force things aren't being arbitrarily imposed. And coaches explain why there are deadlines. So there may be a deadline of, look, we have an early commit who wants to do it here's the scholarship money we have to do okay so this means for another prospect we need to know whether they want to come and we well we could say that we could say look we're looking at a situation for scholarship dollars we could do this now we will be interested in you if it doesn't happen at, you know at, after this time 
but it may change our ability to offer you a scholarship. And that's what we don't want to get into. So being very clear about those things, because I know they play out in different ways, is really important. I think one of the things that gets lost is the reasoning behind why certain decisions are being made isn't always clear to the athlete. And coaches are going to have to accept that sometimes that means we're going to lose out athletes we know could make our program better. And that's okay. I mean, that, that's our, our mission is to get athletes here and coach them, teach them, build them up. Um, and if you do a good job of that, you can make your team successful. It says a lot. If you're being threatened, it, it says a lot. Because that, that's what it is. If you're being forced to do something, it's a threat. Ultimatums never work. Nah. Well, I mean, not, as no, no, no good friendship works on an ultimatum, right? All good friendships, all good relationships, coaching that, and athlete Nick. relationships, they work together because you work well together and you listen and you respond and there's a level of respect. So anytime you're forcing someone to do something, um, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of concern there, especially when there's a power dynamic at play. Yeah, don't say that or I'll never buy you another margarita again. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> He means Shirley Temple, for those listening. He means Shirley Temple. That's all we drink, Shirley Temples. Um, well, I guess the, the last question, just to kind of wrap up, and it's more of a logistical question, uh, Ryan brought it up, but, you know, with the lack of testing, both from, like, an academic and an athletic standpoint, you know, the, the normal training cycles where athletes are doing 2Ks or, you know, they're going to have race results, like getting that data, that's not necessarily going to be something that's, directly um, available um, as it would be in any other um, typical year and to also look at it from the academic side like all of the standardized testing dates have been canceled until further notice so I mean how I'm going to put this more towards Nick and Andrew how do you foresee that being a significant change from the coaching standpoint and how you consider a prospect or do you want to leave this until next week because that's a big question uh, it is a, it no, is a question, and I'd like to see how some things, how some things. Daniela says next, next week. Yeah, next week. Yeah. Okay, so we, we'll say that to next week. So I'll wrap up with this, just to give like athletes more information, like from you know college coaches and people who work on the scene. One word of a character trait that you want to see in a prospect. What is the one character trait that you value the most in any prospect? One word. Insatiable. <laughs> okay. Andrew? Was, when we combined it, Nick, wasn't that one word? Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah. Um, maturity. What? Maturity? Yeah. Okay. Ryan, what would you say? Humor, you with the, humor with the U. Like the British spelling of it. Okay. Um, I'd say curiosity. Hmm. So, one word then, is uh, hard. What? One word only is hard. Absolutely. Right? I, I, would, I would agree with all those words. Yeah. Right. Um, so I guess like the, the notes from today would be, all right, be mature, be insatiable, have humor, and be and have curiosity. There it is from the Corona Crew on episode three. 
stay tuned for episode four, where we'll dive into a little bit more about the logistics of you know how we start to see the world changing in terms of evaluation. You know how coaches are going to think about data, how you can provide data. Um, but until next time, stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stay home. Stay home. <laughs>